At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience. Heal your heart while refining your character and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. Parallel parenting is co-parenting. It's a subset of co-parenting. And it is co-parenting in a manner that makes sense that disengages the two people from the conflict and creates boundaries where boundaries are absolutely needed. You're listening to our series on divorcing a narcissist and high conflict divorce. If you've felt emotionally battered in your marriage and now feel like you're failing again because an amicable divorce is simply not possible, this series is for you. Designed to honor the complex, emotionally tumultuous set of circumstances you're facing, we provide a playbook, a deep level of guidance and support to bolster you through and beyond the divorce process. Our guests include mental health professionals, attorneys, court-appointed experts for the children, and more. Welcome back to our ongoing conversations with child-centered experts that are available to support you through divorce. Today, we're going to tackle the complicated issue of parallel parenting, which in effect is high-conflict co-parenting with a disordered ex. Parallel parenting offers a more realistic way to parent your children during and post-divorce. It involves creating detailed agreements on schedules and decision-making during your divorce negotiations, and then creating separate house rules, setting strong boundaries, and limiting communication, preferably via text or email. Today's guest is Brooke Olson, who is the host of the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast, which I strongly recommend you check out. He's a certified parenting educator with the International Network for Children and Families, a certified divorce mediator, a divorce coach, and the author of The Black Hole of High Conflict, which offers perspectives and strategies for navigating a high conflict divorce. Today, Brooke is going to share with us the vital importance of regulating your nervous system and how to help your children regulate theirs as they prepare to be at a different house, how to be the best parent, and in doing so, protect and teach your children. And you will also learn about Brooke's three rules, the drama triangle, and much more. So grab your pen and paper because this one is filled with great information. I'm so excited to have you with us today. 
Welcome, Brooke. Brooke, there is so much for us to talk about on this topic. And I think that the tendency of people who are going through high conflict divorce and hearing so much about the cooperative, amicable co-parenting that they're expected to, um, to engage in, that there's confusion and more frustration and more upset and more of a sense of feeling like a victim when they try that and it doesn't work. And so maybe we could kind of lay a little groundwork here and talk about what is the problem? Why does your typical co-parenting not work so well when you're divorcing someone who has a high conflict personality? Well, let me start. Let me, let me start here. Um, when I was going through my first divorce, it was a high conflict divorce. And I was working with some people and my therapist at the time said this to me, he said, as with the marriage goes, so goes the divorce. So expect a continuation of the same behavior that you were in when you were in the relationship. To do anything other than that is ludicrous. People aren't going to change how they treat you just because you're separating. And the probability that it's going to get exacerbated is, is pretty high because these personalities are about controlling and they're about controlling through um, aggression by and large on mm -hmm. some form. So what we're really trying to do here is learn how to change our thinking. And the professionals that I've worked with over the years, the attorneys, the judges, the, the people that are telling us to co-parent don't seem to get the concept that not everybody can, that there is truly a wiring problem for people with high conflict personalities and that we are not going to change them. And as we put resistance to that, they are going to push back harder. So I use a disengagement um, perspective when I'm working with my clients and the parents in my classes. And this helps them start to step back and look at it from a different perspective. But they have a hard time with that because everybody in their sphere is saying, no, you have to go parent. No, you have to go parent. So I think we have to change the conversation a little bit. And the idea that parallel Parallel parenting is co-parenting. It's a subset of co-parenting. And it is co-parenting in a manner that makes sense that disengages the two people from the conflict and creates boundaries where boundaries are absolutely needed. What I find with parents that are in relationship with somebody with a high conflict personality is there's often a codependent type of a personality that they have, that they're people pleasers, they don't know how to hold boundaries. And what we have to do is shore them up in a way that they understand that setting a boundary isn't creating conflict. It's actually the opposite thereof, that it's uncomfortable, but it is really the only effective manner to be able to do that. Right. And sometimes they feel like they're being um, insensitive or or bad or I would never treat someone else like that. And so there is that that even with the ex, that kind of wanting to please or not upset. 
Well, they want to do it right. They want to be good and be seen as being good. And there's some conflation in this notion that setting a boundary isn't being good. And what I find across every um, relationship that I look at is, is that boundaries create good relationships. And because we say no, I'm not okay with that, is okay to do. It's that I am stopping you from doing something that's intrusive with me. And in a healthy relationship, we can enter into conversation with that. Exactly. And in a high conflict relationship, we don't want to go anywhere near it. No is good enough. I don't have to go into the explanation. And when we create a parallel parenting parenting plan, we build into that every place that we can look at where we might have problems. And we address it in the parenting plan as to how it's going to take place. So a parent can look at their parenting plan and go, nope, that's not in the parenting plan. I'm not going to do it. And the other person can jump up and down and scream and yell and raise hell about everything. But we can just sit in and say, no, we all signed this agreement and this is what the court order says and this is what I'm going to do. And what I, what I like about the parallel parenting model is it allows both parents or at least one person that is not maybe have having the high conflict personality to step back and let the other parent act out without having to engage with it. Less is more. I don't have to have a conversation because the conversations get hijacked. They turn into argument and it is, it is the high conflict personalities way of hooking you into um, relationships. Um, I talk about it as being um, negative intimacy. They haven't let go of the relationship and they want to be able to just control through that engagement. And when we take that engagement away, they're left standing with an empty cup and they don't like it. And that's okay. So the, I love the, the less is more and the no is good enough because I think one of the things is just, just being concise and having that even that boundary in the way you speak. And so often there's the slippery slope. The minute you go past that, the minute you start engaging in the why, you've already been baited and hooked. Right, right. And we don't have to explain ourselves. We don't have to tell them why we're going or where we're going or what we're doing when we have the children with us. It's none of their business. And likewise, for us, we have to be willing to do the same thing. The, the danger in that conversation is I have a lot of my parents say, I don't trust the other parent or they're not safe with the other parent. And I have to know what that other parent's doing. And it's not effective. We're not going to get what we want by asking for what we want from anybody in this, as far as I'm concerned. You know, people go to court. I see a lot of my clients walk into um, ex-party uh, hearings 
because they're afraid they, the child is in danger and the judges simply offhand often say, this doesn't reach an emergency um, criteria, go away, file an RFO, come back. And then, you know, we've spent thousands of dollars and really a lot of what we can do goes away when we stop engaging. A lot of the behavior from these personalities is built around the notion that they can light us up and they enjoy that. They enjoy the energy that comes with the conflict. And when we can take that away by utilizing a parallel parenting model, by stepping back and really learning how to self-regulate our nervous system in that, because that is paramount, um, then we kind of take their joy away. And over time, I find that a lot of this stuff simply starts to go away. It disappears. So can you talk a little bit about um, that regulating your nervous system? Because I think after years of years of being in the marriage and then going through the difficulty of the divorce, there's all of this triggering that if they haven't dealt with um, comes out in this way. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Absolutely. And I think this is key because without the ability to self-regulate and look at the moment of okay, I need to step back. I don't need to engage here. This is my stuff. It isn't anything that's going to get me anywhere is, is right at the top of the priorities that we have to attack first. And when I'm working with my clients, I start to explain to them how the nervous system and how when the amygdala gets triggered and that primitive brain goes into fight, flight, freeze, that simultaneously the prefrontal cortex the the place where we have cognitive process goes offline the two are not you know the the two are mutually exclusive if we're in one we're not in the other so we have to learn how to hack that system and the only way to really do that is through a mindful practice to understand that when I am in that fight flight mode, my respiration's up, my heart's racing, I have that sense of anxiety. And to be able to just recognize it, you know, that's step one. Because as soon as I've recognized that, I've already started to shut it down and I'm moving into the prefrontal cortex and I'm starting to come into cognition. I've got self reflection. Right. And once I hit the self reflection, then I can monitor what's happening. I can come into breath. I can lower my anxiety level. And from there, I'm in choice. And once I hit choice, it's on me. If I make a bad choice, that's my problem. I made a bad choice and I need to know what the choices are. So I encourage my my listeners on my podcast, on the people that come me for coaching to have a coach that helps them and work through that process of understanding um, what the proper choices are at this point. And I have my three rules that I work with. And my three rules are um, disengage, disengage, and disengage. <laughs> and that work with me, you know, kind of have me on their shoulder and this is their mantra. And the idea of the disengagement 
which is which is paramount to managing high conflict personalities, isn't redundancy. It's actually a graduated conversation that works us into more and more mindfulness. And the first disengagement is typically just a it's a white knuckle. I somebody told me to disengage, so I'm going to disengage. I'm going to step back. I'm not going to do anything. And it's kind of terrifying when we first start it. I don't know that this is going to work. They're going to get nastier. They're going to do it. And, you know, it's kind of like learning to ride a horse. You just got to ride it out. Yes. Until the horse settles and you go, okay, I got this. The second piece, and, and I look at it from a perspective of awareness, acceptance, approval. So the second disengagement is um, acceptance. This is where I'm at. And it isn't going to change. And our listeners need to understand that the, the probability of this changing in a great manner over time is pretty low. So your management of this is really what's going to change your quality of life. It's not what the other person's going to do or not do. It's what you're going to do. So this is where I am. I need to learn the tools manage myself so I can do this. So that is the acceptance piece of the, the disengagement. And the third disengagement, which really takes us a little longer to get to, is um, approval. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Coming out of demonization of who the um, high conflict personality is, stepping out of being a victim, accepting that they truly don't have the wiring or the capacity to do anything but what, what, what they're doing. It's truly a miswired brain that doesn't look at or doesn't have um, the ability to um, have empathy, to have compassion for somebody else's state. It's all about their own state, and they can't get out of that. And that's typically from some traumas that they experience as children, and uh, th that's how the wiring happens. So when we hit that approval state, we're really truly able to let go. It's like, I'm not in criticism of that person and who they are. They affect me. I have an affect from it. And that's my responsibility for me to take care of the affect. And when I can do that, I'm training my child how to do that. I'm more present for my child. I'm in that child-centric mode of this is my job. And if I don't do this job, my children are going to end up in this as well. So the parallel parenting model to me says this. I'm the only chance my child has. I have to do the best job that I can, irrespective of what the other parents do. So I have to up my game. I have to learn how to settle my own anxiety because my nervous system is directly related to and it connected to my child. My child nervous system is developing off of mine. Yep. And if I'm not regulated, they're not regulated. If I don't know how to settle, they don't know how to settle. If I don't know how to do critical thought, they don't know how to do critical Beautiful. thought. And um, I know that they're not going to get it at the other parent's house. Exactly. So I can put my brain over there and spend my energy over there and waste my time 
or I can take all of my energy when the children are with me, however long it is, and I can put it right here. And I can understand what parenting really is. And that, I think, is the next piece to parallel parenting that I think is really super important. Well, before you run, before you get into that, I just I want to stay on this one piece here. The approval piece that you talk about, I think, is, you know, it's such a difficult um uh, it's a heavy lift for a lot of people that that shifting mm-hmm. to accepting that this person isn't evil, they're not bad, they're they they're disordered, they have a personality disorder, they're disordered, right. and and you know I just I kind of want to just on confirm or affirm that that step when you can stop seeing that person as. Um, as this big evil bully and see them for what they are, which is they didn't ask for it, they didn't create it, and they're stuck with it too. And I would always say to my clients, you know, if you could wake up being him or her, you could wake up being you. You know, like they're the ones who actually, even though they're so displeasing to be in relationship with, they can't get out of their own way. You, on the other hand, can raise your emotional intelligence. You can you can control yourself. And so everything I love your three steps, awareness, acceptance, approval to to move in the direction of truly accepting your situation and how they show up. Because then we have to turn around and pour that into our children. They have a lifetime of being in relationship right. with that other parent. Right. And, you know, that that final step, I have an exercise in my class that I do with my, my parents that take my class that takes them into the other person's being, where they can actually start to feel what's going on with the other person. And it's a it's a powerful, powerful exercise. And the parents that do it, one, hate it because <laughs> it is incredibly activating for them because they get a sense of holy crap, that I don't want to be in there. That's horrible. But it also gives them that insight to, oh my God, that's terrifying for them. That's horrible for them. And they have to live that 24-7, 365. And that's not that can't be comfortable for them so it it starts to make that relationship for them yeah and i think that that invitation into um first attachment then forgiveness then even compassion for the difficulty of the other person and only compassion if you're a codependent once you've done your other work so the compassion doesn't slip you right back into relationship right, with right. Them. it's a slippery yeah. slope and, and and that's the that's the piece when this is done in a healthy manner karen um there is good there is good distance there is good boundary and um the person can sit back and say yeah that's that and I don't have to do that. I don't have to go there. I don't have to fix it. That's their job. Right. I have this, I have this idea um, that I that I try to relate to the parents in my classes as well. It's like I, I, I think about karma. And I think about this idea that everybody's got their own karma and it's their stuff to resolve. And when I step into that and I try to fix it, I take that on and it becomes mine. And I have done two things. I've complicated my life, for starters, and I've robbed them of their lesson. 
And that is, you know, that should piss them off. And I think on some level, energetically, spiritually, it does. And that's part of the reaction that we get. It's like, um, there's another piece that I, I don't want to ramble on here, but one of the things that I look at um, that my I have my parents and the people in my classes look at, and I want to offer to you and 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 yours as well, is the um, the drama triangle, and to look that up and to play with that, um, and it is this this place of of codependence where there is a rescuer, there's a victim, and there's a persecutor, and they always rotate. Mm. And it's amazing when we start to understand that triangle that we start to really understand that when we engage in this, when we become codependent or we try to fix something, that we are just stepping on a bomb that is going to blow. Yeah, well, that's really well put. And and that statement, it's, you know, I've heard that like when you pick someone up and you carry them for as long and as far as you carry them, when you place them back down there in the same footsteps, the same footprint, you've stolen time and possibility for them to develop their own ways, you know, to do that growth. Right. And so that's that's so true. And as a codependent, I think part of it is um, my intentions are so good. I'm coming from a place of love. I'm coming from a place of caregiving. And and to your point, you're you are stepping on you're you're stepping on a bomb. There's shrapnel going everywhere. Um Yeah. And the, the codependent piece also, I think, um, and and it's an important thing to bring into the conversation because it's so that it's so important when we're trying to disengage and parallel parent and step back is the codependency has uh, this idea that I'm trying to do something that is of value to help somebody out. But at the bottom end line of this often is a giving to get kind of uh, a situation, which is part of the triangle. This is where it blows up on us because I am giving you something and I am expecting something in return, which I might not be able to get. And when that doesn't happen, then we have resentment and all the other things that compile into these nasty relationships. So We're there right when you need us the most. And we make sure you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you between calls to be more effective. I was very fortunate to find Journey Beyond Divorce. I would go searching for any piece of information that could either A, give me more knowledge about the divorce process itself, or B, could talk me down emotionally. And I found that Journey Beyond Divorce was really instrumental in providing both things. One, the guidance of the divorce process itself, as well as talking about self-maintenance and what does the individual need to do to kind of cope with it. Let us help you gain a broader perspective and determine your best next steps with our free Rapid Relief Lifeline call. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call. So you were saying um, earlier, you said you've got the awareness, acceptance, and approval. And then you said the next piece is that learning how to parent. And and if you could if you could share that with us. Right. So I think, uh, you know, if we're going to parallel parent, we have to really understand parents. And I ask the people in my classes, how many of them have taken a parenting class? 
And by and large, most of them have. So how do we know how to parent? How do we know what parenting styles are? How do we know what is effective parenting? And just because I'm kind and I'm present, that doesn't mean I know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, and depending on the family of origin you came from, like your rule is either do what they did or don't do what they did. And other than that, Ex what, what do you have? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we have to understand, you know, the different forms of parenting and what they really mean. And I teach them about autocratic parenting. I teach them about um, uh, permissive parenting. I teach them about non-engaged parenting. And then I teach them about the parenting that they really need to get, which is authoritative parenting. Mm. And this is a fully engaged parent that really understands the depth and breadth of what it means to be teaching a child how to be in the world so they are understanding of how to be in the world when they get there. So we're not creating um, codependency. We're not creating um, children that have issues around um, gimme, gimme, gimme you know, that expectation of somebody's going to take care of all of it for me. And um, that we are teaching our children how to be productive, present adults. And that requires turning off the TV, putting down the beer, putting down a glass of wine, getting down on the floor when they're young and watching what they're interested in and then following their interests. And then when they fail, help them make corrections and understand how to come back and make corrections, how to do cognitive thought. And Dreikers back in the 70s wrote a book called Children, the Challenge. And it's a wonderful book. And some people started to look at that and go, wow, this is a great parenting style. It's authoritative by nature. And people like Catherine Coles took off with it and created um, redirecting children's behavior. And that's where I got a lot of my training from. Um, Love and Logic came out of Dreikers stuff. And this is something that's really available to people across the board. My good friend, Susie Walton, who was a redirecting children's behavior um, teacher for many, many years, took it to another level and she created the joy of parenting, which I really like because when we're involved with our kids, this is one of the most joyful things that we can do, even when it's hard. It's like, yeah, we're together and we're working this and we're really teaching our children what secure attachment looks like. Because for most of us that have been in high conflict um, relationships, are on one side or the other of the attachment scale, either an anxious, preoccupied, or an avoidant personality, and we haven't landed in that secure attachment. And when our children get that, they move into relationships from a far different perspective, and they don't make the same mistake that we have made because we didn't have that type of parenting. When you talk about the parenting styles of our parents, most of us, I know for me, um, my parents were incredibly autocratic. And the opposite of that is permissive parenting, and neither one of them work. They have places where they blow up. And um, so understanding parenting is important in this idea of parallel parenting because now we have a North Star. Now we know what we're doing, and we know how to do this on our own time. 
And we don't have to be critical of the other parent. They're not going to change. They're not going to do it unless they want to. But we've created an environment in which our children, when they walk through our door, they can settle. They learn how to look around, to orient. This place is safe. You're not going to badger me. You're not going to abandon me. You're here, and I can relax. And without that, our children develop an anxious nervous system. And what you're saying, it seems to me that for a parent who can who can take that path that you're describing, uh, you know, a big thing for me is helping parents break the generational chains of the same thing happening Absolutely. over and over again. And how we parent is is vital to that. Like I always tell my clients, the more we can get you, you know, to heal your wounds and to really grow in emotional intelligence, that whole understanding yourself and being able to manage yourself, then you get to pour that into your children. But you're actually taking it a step further, which is there's a very specific way that you can parent that's so healthy that 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 parenting too is just going to uh, give them the tools to to navigate life in a healthier way than we did those of us who married high conflict people. Right, and, and so well put, Karen. So well put. And what I found for me when when I started to um, take my teacher training with. with um, Catherine's materials that I found that the languaging that was used, the approach that was used with the kids started to be infused in every relationship that I had. And it made every relationship that I had easier because the tone, the cadence, the, the content, the, um, the healthy way of, communicating that comes out of that is a reflection to the child of how to be in relationship. And they begin to take that into every relationship that they have. And there's this expectation now that we can work out problems without getting angry, that there's a negotiation to this. And we take our children out of this idea of win-lose into win-win. Love, love, love that. I'm all about win-win and teaching that to our children. And, you know, I, I feel like I started becoming conscious in my 40s after my divorce and I've got two kids in their 20s and they blow me away because their level of awareness and boundaries and ability to communicate is just so far beyond where I was at that age. And that's really one of the incredible gifts that can come out of um, going through the divorce and and consciously choosing how to parent. And the opposite of that, and I kind of want to just talk a little bit about the problem side again. The opposite of that is having your eyes so much on what's going on on the other household and what he or she is doing wrong and how it's hurting the children. And I'm wondering if you have certain... Um, rules or um, what's worth fighting for? Like we want to not sweat the small stuff, but we also don't want to um, 
ever see our children endangered. And I'm wondering, do you have some guidelines that you share with your parents for? I, I do, I do. And thanks for asking that question because it's really important. There's so little that we can do. Mm. I mean, there is a level of helplessness in this that we have to learn how to tolerate the sensation. That um, is really or, well put the way you just said that, because that's really what it is. Right, right. And because, you know, the system is not geared to fix the problem. Um, you know, if another parent's got an autocratic style, if they yell at the children, if they're um, emotionally abusive to them, you know, protective services, the court, unless there's something super egregious, is not going to do anything. And um, in fact, you know, when we go there, things, some of these personalities are so good at mixing things up, it can actually cost us um, time with our children if we go in and we're not really together with how to do this. So first thing I would say is if you're going to go down those roads, never do it alone. I mean, really get some good counseling and some good strategy put together. So you're factual and you can really lay down tracks for what's taking but one of the things that I think parents need to do in a parallel parenting um, model, and I do this when I do my mediations, nobody goes out of my mediations without having a counselor for their child. Mm. The children need a place to process their stuff. And that's of paramount importance because you can't do it with them. You're going to bring your own um, perspective in. You're going to be biased. The kids aren't going to get a clean answer from stuff. So Having a, a therapist for the children is really an important piece. And a child can have a therapist at the age of five years old if they, they can find a good um, play therapist. But this is a place for the children to process. But there's something else that comes into it that's really important. And we're putting a, um, we're putting a mandated reporter in place. And I never want to talk about that when I have somebody going to court and asking for that. But the the truth of the matter is, is you can look at, you can point to a, a judge and you can say, Your Honor, this has been hard on the kids. That is irrefutable. And our children need some place to process this stuff while we try to work through our stuff. So I would like to put that in place for the child. And that's not saying that this other person's bad or I'm bad or we're not doing it right, but the child has a need. And that's kind of the movement into that that's benign. But when we put that mandated reporter in, then we get to relax a little bit. Because if something comes in, they have to make a call. And that's not me making a call. That's a professional making a call. And that allows me to relax a little bit because there's somebody watching, somebody listening. Now, does that mean it's going to fix it? No. But it gives me another degree of separation. And what I what I've come to understand really thoroughly about high conflict personalities is left to their own devices, they're going to step on their own toes. They're going to trip themselves up. They're going to do their biggest amount of damage. And if I'm separated from them, I'm not outing the water. If the other parent has the major amount of time and the child isn't getting their schoolwork done, me nagging them to get the schoolwork done isn't going to help it. 
but I can sit back and now I have got, this is the time that the child's on my watch, all of their homework's in, all of their stuff is on, and this is where the tardies are, this is where the absences are, and this is where the homework isn't getting. Now you have data, and you have, yeah. Right, we've got to have data and we've got to be able to just set that down so we can make those corrections. But if we are in this notion that we have to co-parent, we are clouding the water all the time and we are not getting the data points that we need to be able to make the corrective stuff if and when we go back. So the separation is really important. And I would imagine the same thing. A lot of times uh, I'm talking to my clients about when the ex is... Uh, when the child comes back complaining, right? They've they've been struggling with mom and dad because of uh, their behavior. And then right. the other parent, instead of teaching the child how to handle it, goes to complain to their ex, which is like, you know, just go talk to the wall. Um, you might be better off. And so that creates a complication too, right? Because the ex gets triggered, and meanwhile, the child's kind of like you lost the opportunity to actually pour into this child and help them to figure out how to navigate the situation. Right. So I, I want to touch that. I want to go back and finish the piece that you asked me before about the yes. rules. Um, and, and one of the things that I really tell my parents that is a major rule is for them to, when the child is with the other parent, to be in deep self-care. Mm. Because that's their opportunity to recharge and be ready for the child and to play. I mean, really honestly, to go play, to have fun, to enjoy their life, and to engage in adult time. It's an opportunity, it's a feature. And when they can do that, they are much more resilient to be in this process when they have to be in the process. To come back to the, the last piece that you, you asked about, Karen, is um, I have a whole section in, my, um, in my, my classes that talk about um, that going between houses and how to really do that transfer to get the children in a headspace where they can be ready to go and ready to come back so they are self-regulated. Right. And we can do that as a one-sided parallel parenting model. We can really have the children understand that they, they are going, and this isn't a question, this isn't something that they have um, say in, and this is where we're going to go, and we get neutral on that. But we also have things that downregulate their nervous system before they go, so they're ready to go. What's happening for our kids in, in this going back and forth between the two houses is um, they have to break a relationship in order to go into this other environment. They can't go into the other environment saying, oh, I had this great time with mom, or I had this great time with dad, and we had all this fun. And I was, no, they have to shift their mindset 
and and put that in the background and then come into this other environment that says, okay, now I'm here and this is how I have to behave here because that is not okay. And people in general and kids specifically oftentimes have to break that in a hard way. They have to get angry. They have to make somebody mad in order to make break that relationship. So we have to make it okay for them to go and to do that. We have to be able to release them and to have that be okay. But they're also, when they're coming back, they have to reorient and they have to reconnect. And we have to give them that time and, and, and a traditional piece that they can come back and orient to. Who am I with? Where am I at? Where's my stuff? Oh, it's safe here. Oh, I can talk. Oh, I don't have to be shut down. Oh, there are boundaries. Right, right. Brooke, I have to tell you, I'm like cracking up because my kids were pretty young. They were in early grade school when I when I divorced and moved out. And and I would send these two reasonably zen young people, you know, to, to dads. And then they would come walking back in the door, fighting, screaming, being nasty to me, bouncing. Like, who are you? And it was, this was a couple of months into this that, and I, of course I was, I was giving consequences because I was so unaware of what was going on and you're describing it perfectly. It's like they, and then I realized they need, they need a, a period of time to recalibrate to this safe, peaceful place that's very different from the chaos that they had just spent X amount of time with. And I think that's so important because it would, be again, be easy for a parent to just get so incensed that my child shouldn't have to go, like, that's the problem. My child shouldn't have to go through this. And the other parent is bad. And I think that's where they keep swinging back every time something like that comes up. You know, these transitions for the kids are really difficult. And, you know, I, I kind of think about um, when I was dating my girlfriend and we were living apart, I would go to her house and I loved to cook. And I would go into the kitchen and I would be totally disoriented and it would bug me a little bit. It's like, where's the stuff I need to do what I need to do? And my girlfriend bless her heart, is wonderful at moving stuff around. It's like, oh, I want to move this. Always, you know, she's always tinkering with stuff, so I never knew where anything was at. And it's disorienting. Right. And our kids, each time they make this, this movement from house to house, these transitions, they have to reorient. And one of the things that I like to teach in that is, is that the parents take time before they bring the kids into the house to have some transition transition um, activity that they do every single time of stopping and engaging with that child in a nonverbal way, taking a walk, playing catch, shooting hoop, mm. stopping and having um, a beverage, um, walking the dog, something before they ever walk through the house that gives them this moment of, oh, oh. I can relax. Reconnection. Oh, and then, and in, in a nonverbal way that I'm not demanding that we just step right back into where we left off because that doesn't. Right, right. And, you know, these, these notions are all parallel parenting related because our kids have two different places to live. 
at least for some amount of time. And they're not the same. And often they're quite different. Yeah. Yes, this is just incredible. I, I know you keep mentioning your class, and I'm wondering, is that is that um, specific to your location, or is that online, if our listeners are Absolutely. interested? Yeah, no, I do all of my, I do all of my coaching, I do all of my classes virtually now, um, and I work with, I work with people all over the country. Uh, actually, I have people in other countries that I work with from time to time as well, so um, no, it's all available. So, uh, uh, two questions. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you really feel is important to cover? And then I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about the class and, and how people could find out about it. Yeah, uh, there, there's one there's one other piece. And again, this is separating um, and really working towards... Uh, being present for the kids and, and helping them learn about life through um, having fun and as a parent having fun. And one of the concepts is really uh, that I like to, to lean on hard is positive anticipation and setting up activities with our kids so they are looking forward to what's coming next when they're away from us. And when they're with us and we're working on these activities that really bring confidence into them. You know, a child's confidence comes from confidence. And confidence comes from doing, from being involved in stuff. One of my, one of my parents was working with um, building a chicken coop with their child last week. And... They went to Home Depot, they bought parts, they set up the table saw, dad was teaching them how to measure, wow. to cut, to do all of these things. And the child was just saying, dad, I got this. Dad, I got this. Just sit back and watch, I got this. And dad wanted to get in and help and he was smart enough to stay back and his, the child was making cuts. And this is a 10 or 11 year old. You know, he had the tape out, he was measuring, he had the square, he was making the cuts, and they were putting this together. This is parenting. That's beautiful. And any activity that you put together that is either a project or an event or um, an activity or a, or a traveling piece, you, you don't just do it. You just don't tell them what we're going to do. You bring them into the process of being a participant in the planning of it, the execution of it, and the breakdown of it. And this is, to me, the most effective form of parenting that you can do because it is authoritative parenting. You are teaching the child. They are learning how to do their laundry, and they're learning how to do the mow the lawn and stuff because you're doing it with them there and you're not just pushing them out. Telling them well, it, it's just so filled with, with presence, emotional presence, just, just mm -hmm. that, that whole presence and that connection and that engagement. And I think especially as single parents, and it's like you're juggling so many balls, it's easy. And in today's electronic age, it's like they have the iPad, they have the iPhone, they have the TV. And, and, and yet what you're describing is just so beautiful in terms of 
teaching them, engaging with them, watching them, learning about what they they can and can't do or their own strengths. And love the story about the dad with the woodworking. That's great. This is this is where they build their self-confidence. They know that they can do things and it feels good. And and this is what we want our child our children to feel. So so you have shared so much incredible uh, information, uh, and I, I just love the little snippets you've given us along the way. Can you tell me a little bit more about the class, how long it goes for, and then we'll, of course, put all, have all of your information in our show notes, but just tell our audience a little bit about it. So I have a nine-week class, and it's two hours a night, and I offer it on three different um, uh, evenings, and I also have an offering, so it's set up for people on the East Coast as well, um, so they can get in without being uploaded. But um, the the class really goes through um, three major pieces. The first piece has to do with really understanding personality disorders, understanding what they comprise of, what the DSM really looks at as the characteristics, but doing it in a fashion that is not pathologizing it but putting an understanding to it and what i try to do in that in that section is also get the people that are participating to understand that they have some of these traits too and they may not be predominant but they're in there and when we put stress to it this is what arises and this is where their conflict comes from and they start to engage it i also in that in that arena talk about um, belief systems and how to really challenge their belief systems in terms of what they think is right and to get them off of that and thinking differently and also to really understand the workings of the nervous system and how the nervous system drives some of those belief systems. In other words, you know, how we go into catastrophic thinking and how we start to think of things that are going to be at the end and how that drives the conflict even more of stuff that isn't even in the game. Right. So that's kind of the first part of the, the the classes. And then the middle is really about parenting. It's the stuff that we've been talking about, the parallel parenting um, concept, the ideas, and how to really engage in them. And then the, the last part of this is really about self-care. Um, self-care is an imperative if we are going to navigate this stuff. We are what we eat. We are you know, if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not playing, if we're not enjoying our life, um, our kids don't know how to exactly take care of themselves and enjoy their lives. And one of the things that I, I say that one of my friends gave me years ago is, is we're not here for a long time. We're just here for a good time. I like that. I like that. I could use a little <laughs> bit more of that. I, and I think it's so important. It's like it's not supposed to be drudgery and it can be. And, and those weekends or those periods of time when you're not with your kids, you know, it's kind of like you can stare at the closed door. You could see all the open doors all around you. Right. And start to enjoy right. that time. And 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 the word play is perfect. You know, yeah. parents need to play. And. Parents need to play with their children. And parents need to play with their children. So, you know, these classes, um, they anybody can come in at any time. They're on a rotating basis. I have them, you know, so if they want to step in, they step in where they step in, and we go and they learn all of the pieces. So uh, the your, webs, your, your website is what? Highconflict.net. Highconflict.net. 
And uh, again, your podcast is the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard today, um, Brooke has a couple of years of programs under his belt. So go check out the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast and you'll get that much more information there. And then in the show notes, we're going to have um, all of the different ways that you can contact. Can I put your email address in there as well, Brooke? Yes. Um, the email address to contact me best at is info at highconflict.net. Perfect. Great. And I'm pretty good at getting back to you. Excellent. So thank you so much for all of your wisdom and for your time. I think this has just been a brilliant uh, episode for people to listen to, and hopefully they'll come find you and, uh, and, and engage in some really great parenting. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Karen, and thank you for having me again. This is the second time we've engaged together, and I really enjoy our, our conversation, and um, I'm here and available anytime you want to Yes, yeah. me as well. Totally enjoyed it. And I think we will be doing this again. So Brooke, thanks so much. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon. Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck. The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings, the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time book a free lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking being and doing that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce our gift to you is taking that first step with you on your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call.